All right. So it is fun, and I don't know if you saw this or not, but during the backpack blessing, we had um, preschool kids, elementary school kids, and if you notice Eddie there, Eddie, uh, I don't know if you know this, and if he touts it a whole lot, but Eddie has started seminary this week at Asbury Seminary doing the online program, and so uh, uh, keep Eddie in your prayers as well. Now, I'm going to put some of you on the spot. You know who you are, but there is a group of people that uh, prayed Josh Malarski through Hebrew, and we're just going to ask you to start praying for Eddie now. Uh, we're going to, we can, we can give you like full eight by 10 pictures of him to put, you know, in, in your Bible or in your prayer closet as well, if you want, uh, uh, just to pray for him as he engages inside of his studies. And, um, he probably does not like me very much right now for mentioning that. So, uh, but so, uh, today's a big day when we talk about ministry to the next generation as we do the backpack blessing as we pray for our teachers, but today is also Grandparents Day. And so, uh, happy Grandparents Day. Uh, that, that's fitting uh, that we do that, all these things on the same day, because one of the things that you know and that I know and that one of the things that we love most about St. John's is that we're a multi-generational church. And uh, sometimes the fact that we meet in two different rooms at two different times uh, maybe it, things skew a little bit, but when we're all together, you begin to see that all the way from birth up into, and I won't put anybody on the spot, but let's just say into the upper 90s, um, you know, we gather and we are the community of, of St. John's, and, and that's a wonderful thing, and uh, great to be part of a church, uh, again, of a nursery school that for more than 50 years has invested itself inside of the community, uh, prioritized children's ministry and youth ministry to make sure that uh, one of the phrases we use is what starts with us doesn't end with us, but our faith makes a difference inside of not just my life, but for the people who come after me. Many of you have told me the stories of how you've raised your kids here. Your kids started out in uh, nursery school and preschool classes, and maybe at one time you were a Sunday school teacher, and then you rose up through, and then they graduated, and they went off to college, and maybe now you have grandparents or, or grandkids or some of you are even great-grandparents. Uh, but we continue to invest our life for the sake that what started with, with us doesn't end with us. And that we always have an eye towards the next generation. Now, sometimes the way that it appears in church is church is all about just the youth and we just want the people with the gray hair to forgive the mess and pay for the ministry of it. And that's not, not the case. And so things like Young at Heart and the reason we continue to invest and engage even inside of all levels, is because we all need Jesus. As we were, are reminded last week, conversion at every stage of life, there are new challenges to faith. Uh, but we always want to keep our eye towards what is taking place inside the next generation. And so as we start a new ministry year together, I want to uh, ask you two questions this morning and then uh, give you through Scripture a word picture that I think uh, pulls that together for us. The first question is this. How are you prioritizing your faith and relationship with God this next year. How are you, no one else to look at but the person in the mirror, how are you prioritizing your faith and relationship with God inside of this next year? January gives us a, a fresh start to the calendar year, and we start New Year's resolutions and planning, but it's interesting that whether you are in school or out of school or working or not working, there is something about September that as summer kind of comes to a close and we look then towards the fall, we begin again to re-engage our faith. In terms of what 
will you be involved in, but even more than that, how will I prioritize my faith inside of the coming year? Here's the second question, and, and they're not mutually, mutually exclusive. In fact, I think your answer to the first determines really what your answer is for the second. The first question is, how am I prioritizing my faith, my relationship with God this next year? The second question is, what is the faith of the next generation worth to you? What is the faith of the next generation worth to you? Now, this is not where I'm going with this, but we met with a, a church uh, several years ago that as uh, at Sharptown we were about to launch the, the campus in Woolwich and we had an opportunity to partner with a, a church that was dying or struggling and to partner with them to launch a really what at that time would be a third campus all within the same year. And so we met and we met with a consultant and uh, so Doug Smith and I we went down and met the guy in Washington DC and we told him the story of, of both places and he said I think the Woolwich idea, you know, what became Sharptown North sounds like a wonderful idea. Uh, for this, that other church, here's what I would ask them. Are they ready to take out their pews, to change their worship style, and to even change the decorations that are on the wall? And he said, and if everyone in the room of, of their leadership, if everyone in the room doesn't answer yes, they're not ready to reach the next generation. Now, I'm not here to say we're going to take out the pews next week and all of a sudden we're going to take the music from the second service. That, that's not the point of that. But the point is, like, it's possible for all of us to be set inside of our ways and our preferences of how, you know, what has been impactful inside of our lives and inside of our faith and think that is the way it has to be done now. And it begs the question, then, what is the faith of the next generation worth? What is it really worth? It's not just a rhetorical question. What is the faith of the next generation worth? And if, if the answer is everything, then we'll do whatever it is that we have to do, apart from sin, apart from disobedience to God, we'll do whatever it is that we can do to engage the faith of the next generation because it matters that much. And so that's what I want us to, to think about this morning. Two good questions, but what it looks like to prioritize our faith in such a way that what starts with us doesn't end with us, but we make a difference even inside of the kids, the grandkids, the great-grandkids, the nieces, the nephews, the neighbor kid, uh, whatever it is inside of your life that we prioritize the next generation inside of who we are. For a church, it's how we use our calendar. It's how we use our facility. It's how we use our, our finances. It's how we mobilize our staff and our ministry teams to make a difference inside of the next generation. If you have your Bibles, I want uh, to turn your attention to uh, 2 Kings chapter 3, a powerful word picture uh, this morning that uh, before we get there, I just want to set, set that up for you. This is in the uh, divided kingdom part of the history of Israel. And so what begins with Saul, then to David, then to Solomon, Solomon's two kids, Jeroboam and Rehoboam, there becomes now a divided kingdom, Israel to the north, Judah to the south. As you know, the nation of Israel to the north uh, does not last that long, but their wickedness and their disobedience uh, has them by 722 being conquered by the Assyrians. Uh, the nation of Judah exists for about 150 years more than that uh, before being conquered by the Babylonians. And it's inside of that period that if you're reading through Kings or Chronicles where it's so-and-so was the king of Israel, and at the same time, so-and-so was the king of Judah, and this king was evil, and this king was good, or, you know, and it's that kind of history that seems to go 
back and forth, and the names get confusing because it's the same story over and over again, uh, it seems like, that gets played out. But in, inside of this uh, particular story in chapter 3, uh, there are two individuals. There is Joram, who is king of Israel. Now, if you've ever received a backhanded compliment, you know, where somebody says something nice, but there's really a subtle dig in the midst of that, what we learn about Joram is that he was not as evil as his father was. And so he was, you know, in the scope of evil, he was not quite as evil. And so if you're looking for a compliment and somebody says, you're not as evil as the most evil person that I know, then I guess that, in a good way, is... Uh, yeah, thank you. Well, I'll, I'll take that. Um, so he did, he, he pulled down some of the, the idols, and he was interested in not necessarily compromising as far as his father, but he wasn't necessarily a good king who returned the nation of Israel back to God. At the same time, there's a king in the nation of Judah, Jehoshaphat, uh, who was a very good king, a wise king, a very well-respected king. And so uh, something begins to happen where there is a treaty that was put in place with uh, the nation of Moab, between Israel and Moab, that the Moabite king, uh, Misha, begins to violate and says that he's no longer going to abide by. And so Joram asked for Jehoshaphat, and he also asked for uh, the king of Edom, to join them, and we need to go and march against Moab and take care of this thing that has taken place. And so Jehoshaphat agrees to this, and they begin to, to take their uh, journey down, and it says that they chose to go by the desert route. The desert route was the harder route, but the quicker route. And so they want to, inside of the urgency to do something about this, they choose to take their armies on a route that is going to be more difficult. And sure enough, they, uh, as they're on their way, these men who are already tired after years of fighting uh, find themselves without water, exhausted, broken down, and, and, and a picture, you know, that seems like we see uh, often inside of Scripture that as the army's going, they're at a point of desperation and at a point near death. Now, before we get to our Scripture, I want to pause there for a second. Do you know that one of the things that always stands between growth and complacency or even stagnancy is fatigue. Was it Vince Lombardi, I think, that said fatigue makes cowards of us all? That there's something about when we get tired, we wonder if we have the energy or the stamina or the excitement or the motivation to do something beyond what I'm currently doing. And so we're starting off a new year together, and for some of us, we're thinking we're still trying to get over the past year or the past decade. Or I don't have the same strength that I once had. Or I don't have the same creativity or energy or relevance as what, what I did have. And that really hits us at every stage of life, whether you are a student or a young adult, and you're trying to think that there's excitement about what's in the future, but yet at, at the same time it just feels like I'm stuck just waiting for what's going to come next. If you're a young family and young parents, it seems like you're just constantly exhausted and there's all these things, and you know the big picture of what you would want your family to look like and your kids to look like, but to be honest, I'm just trying to get through the day sometimes to the next one. If you're a parent of a teenager or a college student or a parent of somebody who's just driving for the first time and, and out a little bit, you're stretched in terms of your time and your money and your influence, and it seems like, again, do I really have what I need for the next leg of the race? And oftentimes when we're retired and we're empty nest and we're coming to uh, that season of life that we wonder, that's 
all that stuff is just a young person's game because I've been around that track a few times before. And so a tired and a weary army, exhausted from everything that's gone before and yet know that there's still a battle left to fight, they call upon the prophet, the prophet Elijah, because they want to hear God's voice. And they summon Elijah and they say, will you tell us what we should do inside of this moment or will you just pray a really awesome prayer that somehow we get some water because we're really desperate and we need God to do something. 2 Kings chapter 3, beginning with verse number 14. Elijah said, As surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, if I did not have respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, remember the, the good king of Judah, I would not pay any attention to you. Another backhanded compliment to uh, Joram there. He's not as evil as his father, but he's not really worth Elijah's time. But now, bring me a harpist. For all you musicians out there, even back then, if you want to hear from God, we need some background music taking place. Uh, bring me a harpist. While the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came down on Elijah. And he said, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I will fill this valley with pools of water. For this is what the Lord says, you will neither see wind nor rain, yet this valley will be filled with water and you, your cattle, and your animals will drink. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. He will also de deliver Moab into your hands. You will overthrow every fortified city and every major town. You will cut down every good tree, stop up all the springs, and ruin every good field with stones." And so God wants to give a clarifying moment that not only are you not going to die in a desert, but as well I'm going to give you Moab. And I do find it interesting there that Elisha says, all right, I'll, I'll give you a word from the Lord, but first of all, we need, you know, let's strike up the band a little bit because we need to hear uh, some background music. And, you know, the priority that, that exists there, and this is just an aside, but it, it struck me this week was uh, how much music is tied to worship and to hearing from God. But inside of that, he says, I will fill this valley with pools of water. Do you know a few weeks ago, we talked about the connection between passive and active, that there are moments inside of our, inside of our faith that we're just waiting on God because there really is literally nothing that we can do. And there are other times that we're called to be active, to engage, to get out there, to do something. And so when you read the NIV of this, it says, uh, I've heard your cry. Here's what I'm going to do. Tomorrow there are going to be pools of water all across this valley. You're going to drink. Your animals are going to drink. After that, you're going to go up. You're going to defeat Moab because I am with you. And we think, hallelujah. I'm going to go to bed and wake up tomorrow and come out with my mug ready just to drink my fill. But you know, when you come to the other translations, the New American Standard Version and the King James Version and even in the message translation. So you have the King James, which seems like very old, and the message is very new. They say something different. Here's the King James. It says to that, in that same verse, verse number 16, it says, tomorrow there's going to be pools of water. Uh, 3.16 says this in the, in the King James. And he said, thus saith the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. Now that's different again. What we read was, I will fill this valley with pools of water in the NIV. And the King James, and this is closest to the Hebrew, says, make this valley full of ditches. 
and I'll be the one who brings forth water, and it's an easy thing for me to do, and your animals are going to drink, and you're going to defeat Moab, and the whole rest of it is all the same. And so it's this reminder, again, that it's God who's going to do the major thing that is really a quite easy thing for him, but he wants his people to dig ditches. We're reminded of a few things here, that God is clearly aware of their situation. He has the ability to do something about it. He's the only one that can send water into the desert to save the army on the pathway to do what they feel like God has called them to do. And it's an easy thing. What's impossible for man is not only possible, but an easy thing for God. But yet he calls on his people to work, to move, to dig, to participate in the miracle that's taken place. So when I ask you this morning, has God ever called you to dig a ditch? As someone who spent just a few years in manual labor trying to put myself through college and seminary, uh, digging swimming pools, you don't dig a ditch for fun. Unless, I mean, you know, some of you would, you know, have a warped sense of what's fun and maybe, you know, you would challenge me on that. But you dig a ditch for a purpose, for a reason. Usually there's an urgency to it, either because you're going to build something or you're diverting water, or you're collecting water, you dig a ditch for a purpose. And it's if God is saying here inside of this situation, I will send you all the water that you will ever need. This situation that is so desperate for you is an easy thing for me to fix just like that. But I want you to participate in it. I want you to create the space, create the, split, the, the places and the environment for a miracle to take place. And that's uncomfortable language for some of us because we think miracle means God's going to step in and do something and I am utterly powerless to do anything. I have no ability to do it. I can't make miracles happen. And you're right, you can't. But it doesn't mean we do nothing, but God calls us to create the spaces, to create room inside of our lives, to create the environments out of which his hand could be shown. And so an already frustrated and tired and thirsty army stays up all night digging because he says tomorrow it's going to rain, but between now and then make this valley full of ditches. And so all night they have, with shovels in hand, they're digging pools and ditches and places for water to collect. Perhaps with the last ounce of strength and energy that they have, with no hope other than just the word of, of God and the presence of Elijah that it's actually going to happen the way that they think it's going to happen. With all sorts of questions, I'm sure, will God show up? Why do we have to do this? Couldn't, you know, the God who sends water, couldn't he also send out a meteor and make his own hole to put the water in? Why so much work? If this is a God thing, why am I up all night digging? And yet we're reminded that we, we dig ditches, God makes it rain. We create spaces, God moves in the midst of them. It's why a, a teacher prepares a room and prepares a lesson plan in the hope that maybe God might come in and speak and teach and move through you. It's why you clean up your house and make a snack for a small group to come over and create a space out of which God can move. 
It's why you get up early or you stay up late to spend time inside of Scripture because you're creating space for God to move. Sometimes we are so active that we think we can just will ourselves into being spiritual giants and we fall flat on our faces. But sometimes we do the opposite. We sit and we say, God, I'm open. You do whatever you're going to do, but I'm just going to sit here and let you do it. And it's a cop-out. We dig ditches. God makes it rain. So this morning we have a couple of takeaways for you. And uh, the first is, in a couple of minutes, we're going to invite... Uh, the ushers come back up. They're going to get some exercise today. Uh, they're going to have pens for you, perhaps to fill out your Connect card. Uh, but then also, we have something for you this morning. We're going to give you a shovel because you need to remember summer, summer that is fading away and it's back to school and back to fall and leaves and football games this afternoon at 1 o'clock. Uh, all that's a good thing, but we want you to remember summer, but I also want you to walk into this next year knowing that Regardless of whether you have kids in school or not, or you feel like you're equipped or not, or you're too old or you're too young, God wants you to dig this year. So, uh, as we do that, on your Connect card, there are, I, I believe it said 19 small groups that are listed here. These are things you can sign up for, maybe that you've already participated in. Take a note at the very bottom the very, very bottom says this. I am already in a group that is not listed here. Some of you have been in small groups that are older than I am. Okay? And I, I say that fondly. I say that very respectfully. Uh, some of you are in ongoing small groups that aren't listed on this list because you're closed. You, you got your people that you meet with and your time, time slots that you meet. Uh, we celebrate that. It's not just about what's new and what's fresh and what's different. Um, but we want to invite you to check that bottom box because for us it, it says, together as an army of people who God has given us a job to do, even if we're tired, even if we're weary, even if we're thirsty, yet we're going to continue to pick up our shovels and invest and prioritize our faith also in a way that prioritizes the faith of the next generation. Because the way in which you engage your faith today sets the tone for what your kids see and what your grandkids see and what your great-grandkids see. How are you prioritizing your faith and your relationship with God inside of this next year? The second question is this. What is the faith of the next generation worth to you? What is the faith of the next generation worth to you? And those questions are uniquely tied together. Because the degree to which you prioritize your faith and collectively we prioritize our faith sets the tone and creates the space for what God has the capacity to do inside of the next generation. All right. A couple, couple key things before we move on, and maybe you've seen these things pop up. We dig now so that God can send rain later. We dig now so that God can send rain later. Number two, we do what we can do and allow God to do what only he can do. And the third, and it comes right out of the text there, we do seemingly difficult things so that God can do what's easy for him to do. We show up, we engage, we prioritize, we 
step up, we follow through, we arrive early, we stay late, and whether that's a church thing or whether that's a family thing, we dig ditches. God makes it rain. Last year we talked about a, a discipleship pathway and what it looks like to be people who prioritize growth inside of our lives. And the language was this, it was about beginning and belonging and becoming and building. And I want to break that down just a little bit further and if somebody were to say, what's the expectation of a member of St. John's? What's the expectation for somebody who wants to prioritize growth inside of their lives? I would say it's three things. Worship, you're here doing that. That worship becomes a priority inside of our lives. This is where we are multi-generational. This is where we see the faith of one generation that impacts the faith of three or four generations below it. We prioritize worship. We commit to growth. That in some way our faith grows, whether that's through a Bible study or, or a Sunday school class or a small group, and we serve. We give our lives away. Now, at some stage of life, you might be saying, that's one, two, three. Are you saying I need to be at church five hours a week? Maybe, maybe it comes in other forms. Maybe the way in which you serve is something that's behind the scene, something that's done offline in your own time or, or in some other way. Maybe you're in a season of life where the way that you prioritize growth is in uh, the, the things that you do on your, your commutes and your time inside of the, God's word and your authenticity inside of relationships that you catch up with a another group of guys or a group of ladies one Saturday morning a month and you talk about things. This is not necessarily an hour commitment and a church activity thing, even though this is what all of our church activity is about, that we worship, that we grow, that we serve. For your sake, for the sake of the next generation, we dig ditches, God makes it rain. Do you notice we apply this and the whole backpack blessing thing, I just want to leave you with three other statements. Every kid deserves to have parents and grandparents who love Jesus and prioritize their faith. Don't you believe that? Every kid deserves to have parents and grandparents who love Jesus and prioritize their faith. It doesn't mean you have to be Billy Graham. It doesn't mean you have to be, you know, like this outspoken, you know, someone that you're not, but it means that we prioritize our faith. Because what's taking place in us is not just for us and it doesn't end with us. Number two, beyond parents and beyond family, every kid deserves to have at least one other adult who shows up regularly for them, weekly for them inside of their lives. This is why we have a youth ministry team. This is why we have a children's ministry team. And again, I don't care what age you are or energy level, maybe there's different roles inside of that, but there is a need and a place for you to serve because the, the faith of the next generation depends on it. Angie and Jack would love to talk to you about how you could fit into that particular aspect of ministry. Because what is the faith of the next generation worth? And number three, God is faithful in the desert to provide what he needs, but he wants us to grab a shovel and to start digging. So at this point, you have your pens, you have your connect cards. I'm going to invite the musicians to come back up as so we have the opportunity to sing after the first verse. Okay, so whether you have to finish praying over that, writing over that, uh, the ushers are going to come back down and they're going to have two baskets. One is empty, that's for your connect card. The second has 
shovels in them. I want you to grab one, and on the shovel it says, engage and invite. This is our priority focus for the next year. How are we engaging our faith? And then next week we're going to talk more about the aspect of invitation. We dig ditches. God's the one that sends the rain. We're a tired and weary people who stay up all night digging ditches to create the space or the places for God to do what only God can do. Let's pray together. Father, across this room, we represent a variety of different ages and skill sets and energy levels and time availability and personalities. And yet for all of us, you want us to continue to engage and to prioritize our faith, to be people who worship and, and grow and serve. And Lord, you also want us to be people who reproduce that inside of the generations that come after us. That the ways in which we engage and prioritize our faith now make a difference in the people who look and see how it is that we respond to everything life throws at us through our faith in Jesus. God, whether there's a, a box that we need to check, whether it's something new or something that we've been engaged in all along, I pray that for each and every one of us that we would know specifically or that you would be speaking specifically in our heart how we prioritize and engage our faith in this next year. God, we would ask that inside of these moments that you would continue to speak and move inside of our hearts, move inside of our church body to make a difference not just inside of this room but inside of the community where you've placed us. That our faith and our lives point to you and point to you alone. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.